It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Here we go. The official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. This is our Derek Jeter emergency pod edition. Jeter out as the Marlins chief executive officer. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes here on Monday uh, on a day where we were anticipating a big news story, but not quite the one that we were expecting. And in fact, you know, in my mind, I wonder if it's not a coincidence that this news comes out on the day where Major League Baseball and the Players Union were trying to finalize their deal for a 2022 season and a new CBA first uh, before I introduce our roundtable of guests to weigh in on this emergency situation. Let's hear what Jeter had to say himself. He was he released a statement, Bruce Sherman, principal owner of the Marlins, released a statement, Rob Manfred, but we'll just go with what Jeter said first right up here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Quote, today I am announcing that the Miami Marlins and I are officially ending our relationship and I will no longer serve as CEO nor as a shareholder in the club. We had a vision five years ago to turn the Marlins franchise around. And as CEO, I was I have been proud to put my name and reputation on the line to make our plan a reality. 
through hard work, trust, and accountability, we transformed every aspect of the franchise, reshaping the workforce and developing a long-term strategic plan for success. But here's the money line right here. That said, the vision for the future of the franchise is different than the one I signed up for to lead. Now is the right time for me to step aside as a new season begins. So that is uh, what we're going to dive into as this show goes on just to look at all the ramifications this has on the Marlins franchise as the guy that I considered the face of the franchise, even more so than any of the players is stepping out even before we have a new CBA, a new 2022 season to go around here up top. I wanted to give everybody a shot just to on a scale of one to 10 to tell us how surprised are you by this news of Derek Jeter stepping away? He, we knew from the beginning he had this five year plan a five-year deal literally to be the CEO and oversee both business and baseball operations starting with you Kevin on a scale of one to ten your level of surprise about Jeter leaving now with one just to put this in perspective for everybody one out of ten like a Giancarlo Stanton home run a 10 out of 10 something that you could have never imagined a Magnaris Sierra home run where do you fall on your level of surprise I, I think I know by looking at your reactions in our group chat today but let's hear yeah, it. Yeah, this is this is an easy 10. It's just another way to say it. This was absolutely unexpected, in my opinion, at least, because we no one expected Jeter to step down. Maybe after the next season when his contract was over, they wouldn't renew it, and he would stay as a shareholder, as we were talking about off camera. But, yeah, yeah this is an easy 10. There's, there's, there's no way this, this was expected today, especially today when the labor negotiations were expected to have a big result or a really bad one at the same time. And going right down the line, Isaac... Also of Fish Stripes, you know him and Kevin from both hosting Fish Stripes Unfiltered. Same goes to you. Scale of 1 to 10, you're just level of surprise by Jeter being gone before this rebuild really turned around. You know, I'm going to have to go with um, a 6.5. Pretty shocked. You know, it's like on the the more shocked side than not. But the only reason it's not closer to a 9 or 10 is just... You know, this question had been floated around because obviously I would say the first four years have been somewhat of a failure. If you take away 2020, I think that's sort of, you know, an iffy situation. But the question had been brought up whether, you know, if year five was also underwhelming, there it wasn't a guarantee that Jeter would come back. And so that to go along with all the other factors, including the collective bargaining agreement and the ownership and just the way that's playing out with the owners and the commissioner, again, so far apart with the players on so many core issues, it it wasn't a complete, complete shock. Obviously, I was, you know, it was a 6.5 nonetheless for me. But, you know, I, I'm going to keep it at that number because it was, I was a little bit flabbergasted to say the least. Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm, who earlier today hosted a very insightful Twitter spaces session on this topic. And he has an article coming for his website as well, fishonthefarm.com. A frequent collaborator with us at Fish Stripes. One to 10, Alex, Where what is your level of surprise about Jeter being out? CEO. Uh, well, first of all, thanks, Eli and Isaac and all you guys for, and Kevin as well, Daniel, Noah, behind the scenes. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, I apologize for my voice. I was just uh, gone for the weekend and had a little bit of fun. And then I got in my car to drive home today and I see this news. So uh, I definitely agree with with Isaac that it is very surprising giving timing. Um, you'd figure, you know, if situations were different with the CBA and everything else that, that you know, he'd live out the last year of that contract. But Apparently, there's some friction there. I'm sure we're probably going to talk about that. Um, I would give you my number. Um, I would say six. 
Um, honestly, um, Derek Jeter did a lot for this organization. He, he really did. He turned the, the farm system around from what it was in the Laurier era, really tried to build it up. And now he's feeling the pressure and he wants to spend money. And there seems to be questions around, you know, what kind of spending they're going to do, especially now with the CBA. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, we're going to talk about it. It's, it's a former player that sides more with the players than the owners. Um, you know, maybe there's a little disconnect between him and Sherman. Apparently there is because this is a very odd time for him to do this. So timing would be a 10, but overall him stepping down, taking the timing out of the equation or put them both together. I would say my number would be a six. And Daniel Rodriguez, let's hear from you as well on your level of surprise about this. Shocker. I would have to go, you know, you mentioned a 10 being a Magnus Sierra home run. This is probably Jesus Aguilar stolen base. So it's probably <laughs> around eight. Um, I, I will give it around eight. I, obviously, the timing is not ideal. Uh, given, you know, now they're, you know, during labor negotiations and everything that's been going on, even behind the scenes. But I feel like this is something that's bound to happen. You know, specifically like Alex and everyone else mentioned that the timing is it, not the best, but I think it was going to happen i think i would have given it probably maybe i think maybe two more years i think he would have done these five years and then they probably would give it him maybe a one year stretch just to see how everything was going to end up playing out especially with these big money contracts that they gave to sandy alcantara and avisael garcia his big contract and then trading big prospects like cameron miser to get guys like joey wendell who's obviously kind of in the moment to win now and that's where jesus jeter's mindset is where I think it's at. It's that win now mode. But I think, you know, the other people in the front office, Bruce Sherman, have different um, ideas on where to take the franchise. I think they probably want to do it more, maybe wait a couple more years rather than Jeter's mentality of maybe winning now. But it's an eight for me. It's a Susagular stolen base. That's a decent analogy. I think I have the perfect analogy for this. I have it as a Lewis Brinson home run. You know the raw power was there. You know the potential was there for Jeter to get out of this if the team was not winning because he's the guy that's very impatient as he preached again and again and again. And last year was a very disappointing step back by all accounts, both from what we could see from the outside and reporting on the inside. It's pretty unlikely. So I'd have it at like an 8 out of 10 where on a, yeah, on some circumstances, it's not surprising at all um, when you have the perfect blend of circumstances, right? When you get in a Brinsanity run... One thing that quickly emerged from this um, a few hours before we were recording is the conflicting reports out there about why exactly uh, this happened. And so first, uh, let's go to the, the tweets from the insiders. Going away from just the statements and uh, our own speculation, these kind of came out back to back. You know, Craig Mish, Miami Herald contributor, Swings and Message host, Sports Grid host. He's kind of our go-to on a whole lot of Marlins news and rumors. And so he came out pretty quickly insisting that echoing what Marlins leadership still remaining believes that they are still going to follow up on what they were building before the lockout and be very aggressive in terms of trying to win this year. And that could mean mortgaging more of their farm system depth to fill more holes on the roster. So for people listening and not seeing Mish's tweet was, it is my understanding the Marlins ownership group remains fully committed to winning in 2022 that includes spending after the lockout is over. I'm not sure where the idea has come from that they're done because that is certainly not the case from my understanding. Just nine minutes later, Joel Sherman of the New York Post has connections with Jeter going back to the 90s. 
he serves as a national baseball baseball reporter at this point, very well respected as well. His tweet heard Jeter believed going into the lockout that there would be another 10 to $15 million that the Marlins would spend on the 2022 roster. And that strategy evaporated. Nice word. During the lockout, it was central to Jeter's decision to leave as CEO. That last sentence. It was central to Jeter's decision to leave as CEO because that money to improve the roster has disappeared. Open it up to you guys. Who do you believe here? Who do you think is closer to the reality of the situation? Because these seem to be conflicting reports. Well, to be sort of like a coward, I'm going to like believe both reports in a way because I do believe that this ownership group is intent on winning in 2022. There's money to be made. There's expanded playoffs, like you mentioned. Models have a good opportunity to, to make the postseason if they just add one more guy there. Now, regarding Sherman's tweet, it could be, I don't know whether it's 10 to $15 million. That seems like sort of a, an insignificant number for Jeter to just leave as CEO. But I definitely believe that there was possibly some restriction on you know Jeter's ability to spend money further after the lockout is completed. So in a way, to give sort of like a, a wussy answer, I would, I would believe both of them to a certain extent. Yeah, and for me, I think when you have two reports like this, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I -hmm. think when you look at them and you look really deep into you see the middle between them, I think the truth is somewhere there. I think it's a little bit of what Mish said. And it has to do somewhat with Sherman said, because I I think personally Jeter wants to win now. He comes from an organization that's always in win-now mode. And, you know, he was ready for that rebuild, but I think he felt like this was time was to win now. But – also, you know, you have to go with what said and concern the lockout because the lockout, you know, I believe played a big role into what the owners um, are doing now, changed their minds, and now they're going to almost against the players. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle between what Sherman and what Miss said. Yeah, I have to agree here with uh, Isaac and Daniel. It's just you don't know where to really go. You, you could believe both sizes. The team really never spent much money during this Jeter era until now in 2022, where we see the signings of Avisael. We see they re-signed Sandy to a nice deal, as well as Miggy Rowe with the extension. Beside, before that, their biggest contract was a, what, two-year, $17 million contract to Corey Dickerson. So you could believe Joel Sherman, and then you could believe Craig Mish. Has been, he's been saying this since the end of the 2021 season, towards that ending where they're trying to win now that they want they thought that the 2021 team would win obviously didn't and then you go into 2022 and they're trying to make these moves for win now so you have to look at both sides here and i think it's just best to look at it from the middle and and just believe both at, at the moment and what isaac said is completely true it's a little weird to see jeter leaving over 10 to 15 million dollars because that's definitely not going to get you a nick castellanos or won't get you a kyle schwarber so that's something else to to kind of think about there yeah, I think Daniel had it. Yeah, I think Daniel had it correct. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. I really don't think it's over that money figure. Um, I again, that's kind of not too significant. Uh, maybe if there was zero or zero, another zero attached to that somewhere, then maybe we're talking about something. But no, um, definitely, um, I, I think that there is truth to both. I don't think that the Marlins are are done trying to be competitive um, when this lockout ends, whenever that is. But I said it before, and it comes down it, – it honestly comes down to what's going on right now at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium, and it comes down to the fact that, you know, baseball owners, probably including including Bruce Sherman, excuse me, are okay with losing a month's worth of games. And 
you know, that hurts the pocket. I mean, even though we have this naming rights deal and the stadium naming rights and everything else that, that that's added revenue, baseball teams make the most money when games are being televised, number one. The games have to be televised or your TV doesn't mean anything. And when fans are in the park. So that's where the most money is made. And when that's not happening, it's going to hurt the pocket of a majority owner in Bruce Sherman, who owns 96% of this franchise. And now 100%, depending on who Jeter sold the share to, I'm guessing it's probably back to Bruce. Anyways, that's what I'm saying is that there's lost money here. And Sherman is okay with that. Jeter is not. He's being championed by players that are in the MLBPA on Twitter for walking away like this. Miguel Rojas, Francisco Lindor. Uh, there was just somebody else that did the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it's it's disconnect between a natural player, a natural baseball player. That's what he was first and foremost. That's how he made his living. He came into this role very uneducated about how to run a team. You can be the best baseball player in the world, and Jeter was one of them in his time. And you could be the worst, own, the worst owner, the worst CEO, whatever it may be. I'm not saying Jeter was the worst. He definitely wasn't. But there were – things he didn't know and I think we saw that throughout his tenure here given that he was the guy on the forefront him as well as um as well as uh, Denbo that were really making the decisions ahead of Kim Ang that's going to change now so yeah um I, I honestly to answer this question I really think it's it's somewhere in the middle but I definitely think the money is definitely a factor uh Jeter felt the pressure this was going to be his last year if if 2022 wasn't a winner he was going to be gone honestly and it was going to be it so and, he felt the pressure and he got out now. And that's, that's all I can say. And two things to keep in mind, that 10 to $15 million, that's for the 2022 season. So that's not just like, oh, oh you know, one lump sum. It's That's something no, that yeah. he wanted to spend what, annually for the next whatever player yeah, it was. Yeah, to put, to put some faces on that number. I mean, that's, that's basically uh, what that's what Cattell Marte right. trade, possible trade target was due to earn yeah, this season. Exactly. That's, even though you think of names like Kyle Schwarber and Nick Cassianos being above that, you do a backloaded con, a front-loaded yeah. con, a backloaded contract, yeah, where the cheapest salary is at the front of it. You know, it's possible to get one of those guys in town for that amount of money in 2022 before uh -huh. it spikes up afterwards. That is a substantial amount of money. It's been tough to follow because of the lockout, obviously, but despite the flurry of moves that came before it, right now projected payroll for the Marlins next year is less than $70 million. It's 27 out of 30. They still have one, even with their moves, even with Stallings, even with Abisiel Garcia and Joey Wendell. And to this point, not trading away any of the veteran starting pitchers yet. They're still one of the lowest payroll teams. It's still a payroll that oh, during the Miami era, the last, since they moved into the new stadium, it's kind of less than what they've spent in a lot of previous seasons. There is a lot of room to continue adding especially with the new TV deal, especially with the naming rights. With that said, there's that the that's kind of negated by this looming continuing lockout by the fact that at this point, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that by the time we're done recording and posting this, there's going to be no new deal. And for people that haven't been following the ins and outs of this, this is the last day that these sides are meeting in person in Jupiter. They're going to take a break afterwards. There's no immediate resolution to this lockout unless they somehow miraculously like bridge their differences tonight. It's going to be a while with reportedly owners willing to sacrifice as much as one month of the season to get players to cave to their demands. Like there's no, um, resolution in sight even though they've spent so much time like face to face uh in terms of 
how much genuine effort there's been on the owner's side to try to get something done, it, it's looking like a lot of this was done in bad faith. One thing I want to bring up is because we today we were really excited to see this resolution of the talks potentially. That I mean, that was the big story entering today. This is my speculation is that the exact timing of this was done, even though it's a huge story, even outside of Miami, that Derek Jeter and the Marlins have parted ways and that he's gone as CEO. This could have been a much bigger story if it didn't happen to be on, on the exact same time in the middle of the bargaining between the owners and the players. Don't you guys think that this was done very, very intentionally, that on this particular day it was to actually deflect as much attention as possible because knowing that everybody was supposed to be transfixed on the bigger league-wide situation going on right now? I, I, I mean, I can... First time. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I mean not to play devil's advocate to you, Eli, maybe it's intentional. And that's my thing, that maybe it's done intentionally to show that, hey, I'm not an owner. I don't stand with owners. I stand with mm. I stand with players, and that's um, who I am. That's, 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 it could be a stretch, honestly. It honestly could be. It could be exactly what you're saying, that he doesn't want the attention. He doesn't want to make a big deal. He doesn't want the media world on him. It's going to happen anyway. It's Derek Jeter. It's one of the biggest names in baseball history. He's going to have attention no matter what. And he knows that. And everybody else knows that. So is it saying I stand with players and not owners? I don't think so. I honestly don't think that. That was just my devil's advocate, you know, getting out of the way. I don't think that. um, I really really don't think anybody expected the deal to be done today, honestly. So was this as grand of a day as everybody expected with this deadline? I think most – educated fans and educated people that are following the situation, they know that baseball wasn't coming to an agreement today. They honestly know. And we all know, right. Um, Mm -hmm. The big thing was that they're willing to give up a month. That's that hurts. And and that, like I said before, that, that will definitely hurt the pockets of owners, especially small market teams. So like I said, um, Jeter looking at that, he's like, okay, you know, there's going to be money issues, whether it's 10 to 15 million or whatever the dollar figure is. There will be money issues, definitely, from this. And both him and Sherman know that exact fact. So he probably looked at it and said, can I get done what I need to get done to save face here after everything that's happened the last four years? And he went out on his own terms because clearly he didn't think so. So that's where I think it is. I don't think it's either him trying to deflect or uh, create attention. Uh, I just think that with the way this, the agreements and the lack of agreement has gone, I should say, um, I think he thought it was his time to, to go somewhere else. Yeah, and some breaking news, I guess. It says the MLBPA has organized a fully staffed stadium and facility for players to train in Mesa, Arizona, according to sources familiar with the situation. So I guess we could say it kind of seems like there's not going to be an agreement at all. So You know, Eli, to answer your question, what, what was this done today to sort of maybe like take not take away some attention? I think for the first time as CEO, Derek Jeter was given good uh, PR advice. And said, you know what? There's all this crap going on, all this shitty stuff going on to Major League Baseball and the Marlins included. And if you do it today, on a day where literally all of Major League Baseball outlets are not going to be focusing too much on it, you can do it today. And maybe, you, maybe it was good timing on his part. I don't know. I don't know what's going on through his head, but that's something to keep in mind that he possibly did know that. Let's say if he had done this a month ago, he would have maybe been looked at a little bit, you know, more closely. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Right. One other thing that I did bring up on Alex's Twitter spaces is that this day also potentially just being 
his the clearest indication yet that like he was at a dead end almost this being year five of this rebuild and he had high hopes for it even so maybe maybe it's true what joel sherman and other new york-based jeter insiders are saying that he felt he wasn't giving wasn't going to be given the money to spend enough and improve the team on the other side of the lockout whether that particular thing is true or not what's clear is that whenever they do get this lockout resolved um it's going to be a very rushed end to the offseason and for a team that we know is at least one or two significant pieces away from putting together this like playoff contending team it re- that really rushes the process for you to make important moves and potentially means that you have to wait on those moves until the middle of the season where it might, ne- it might just not be feasible to like bring in to negotiate those trades or those free agent signings and get your entire team ready for the season with that being different than they'd planned at the outset of the offseason kind of hoping to be able to make rational decisions knowing how important they were so when you combine that with the fact that fans are really, really pissed off with how this has gone. And you don't know exactly whether the revenue, even when the season gets started, what's that revenue going to look like? I mean, for one, you're not getting as much money from the TV partner as you were expecting with fewer games. Uh, Also timing of it. uh, This is something that I guess Alex will appreciate is that we know in this market, there's other significant sports teams that are going to be playing playoff games in May and potentially in June, both the Florida Panthers and potentially the Miami heat. Both of those teams are going to take away some of the oxygen. I I, I think Kevin can appreciate this too, because he follows all the sports teams in this market very closely. Those teams take the oxygen out of the room. If you're going to focus on playoff hockey and playoff basketball over early season baseball, I think a lot of people would do that. That could mean less people coming to the games at the start of the season, less people watching at home, just all these other revenue streams just not paying off the way you thought it would if people don't even re- realize that the season gets started whenever it does get started, if that's April 15th or May 1st or May 15th or stuff like that. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What do you think about that idea, Kevin? As somebody personally that I know is a fan of the other teams in this market, do you think that could, that's going to, whenever the season does get started, like is that something that may have scared Jeter away, may have frustrated him that at this particular time, they really need to get the season going on March 31st and waiting later in the year. They're they're going to be like the little, little brothers to those other teams in this market that have actual championship aspirations. Oh, definitely. I mean, you look at the heat and the Panthers right now, they're, they're at the top of the world. The, The heat currently sit at number one, the Panthers at the number one seed. These teams are pretty much bound to make the playoffs. They'll, they'll probably clinch it any in, in a couple of weeks, hopefully. Um, and no one's going to want to watch 
no offense to the Marlins, but they're not going to want want to watch a fourth or third seeded team lose games at Lone Depot Park. You'd rather watch a team like the Miami Heat or the Florida Panthers go out there and probably win an NBA championship or the, or the Stanley Cup. I mean, that, that's just how it is and definitely would have scared Jeter away looking how how successful those two teams have been. And you look at the Marlins, they're, like you said, the, the younger brother, there's just another way to say it. So, I mean, that's just how I see it. If it were me, I'd rather be watching the Miami Heat win some playoff games against who knows the Milwaukee Bucks or the Brooklyn Nets than the Miami Marlins playing the Pittsburgh Pirates in Miami in uh in opening day or whatever it would be, you know. So so you're letting me know that if any Marlins home games fall on the same day as those playoff games, you don't want credentials for those Marlins games, right? Oh, no, no, no. That, that's a different that's a different thing, obviously. But you know, you you know me, I love my Miami Heat, but when you look at it from the money standpoint, I think you got you got to look at it like that. That these teams are going to be in the middle of a playoff chase. They're going to be in the middle, not even a playoff chase, fin- NBA Finals chase. You know, yeah. be the best team in the league, and you're run- going to want to watch the Miami Marlins being off the season. After that, I mean, I think we would all be watching Miami Marlins baseball since it's the only thing we have. The Dolphins aren't that aren't that good right now, um, and not even that. Let's say the Marlins bring in a Castellanos after the lockout. That'll want to make people want to watch the Marlins even more, maybe even more than the Heat, especially. People that want to get into baseball a lot more, you know, you, you've seen your Castellanos in the Marlins, Sandy resign. It, it, it makes a lot of sense to watch the Marlins, especially this season coming up. Looks like they're going to be competitive, but when you look at it with the money and, and the TV deal, as you were mentioning, Eli, I think people are going to want to watch the, the Florida Panthers and the Miami Heat, especially the Panthers with how good they've been this season and how impressive. You know, in years past, Eli is absolutely right. You know, in April and May, the Marlins, well, especially in April, the Marlins really do own it for a little bit. There's a picture of Jeter and, and the captain. Oh. Um, but in years past, you know, in May and June, you're right, Kevin. People are sit. They're at Marlins Park. They're at Lone Depot Park, but they're at the bar watching the Heat game. You know, I, I've unfortunately been there watching that, and oh, I hear a big roar of the crowd. Oh, did did Brinson hit a double? Oh no, it's um, you know, it's Tyler Hero doing something on the court. Yeah, but yeah, that that happens even when under normal circumstances, like in 2018 and 2019, and even when Stanton was chasing Roger Maris, even when Jose was pitching every fifth day in 2016. Fans were at the bar behind home plate watching the other sport teams, especially during the playoff runs. And even during the regular season, same thing. And then later in the season, in September, you're starting to watch fans not show up on Sundays because of the Dolphins. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. It's a great point brought up by all of you guys. It's just been a thing that David Sampson has gone on record even when he was president that they would really want Miami to be still relevant later, halfway through the season at least, to sort of compete with the Miami Heat, who are always in the playoffs. Well, that's partly because in the NBA, everyone makes a freaking playoff. As much as we would like to, you know, we want to see, as you mentioned, Jose and Stan, when, during those times, we would have liked to see, and people would go to the games. People care more about, you know, actually winning games and making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's something the Marlins weren't able to do. And mm-hmm. and I think if you start doing that at a more consistent rate, or at least winning games, if they win 80 games, that is a huge plus. And that'll definitely want to make people come to the stadium. But you have to get the winning product, and that's something that we haven't seen. And that's something, for example, you know, we can maybe do a podcast on this, comparing that to the Heat and the Panthers. Um, the Heat and the Panthers have been able to do that at a consistent rate. I mean, we thought the Heat would rebuild after LeBron. That never happened. They they actually stayed pretty consistent. So something else to look at there, I, I would say, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the Marlins have won 81 games since 2009, if I'm not mistaken. I, well, I, you guys I, know as well as me, Isaac and Kevin, especially since you guys – grew up here like me this market cares about one thing winning games if you're winning games they show up if you're not winning games 
They're not showing up. I had Panther season tickets for years, and they made the playoffs in one of the six seasons that I had season tickets, and nobody went. It's the same exact way with the Miami Heat. If they're not winning, nobody's going to go. It's the same way with the Marlins, and people are so disconnected from the Marlins because of how long they've lost for, excluding 2020. So when Derek Jeter came here, this guy's a proven winner. Obviously, past the New York connection and everything else, that is what it is too, and that was also attractive. But, man – this guy knows how to win. He won on the field. He's done it before. What he didn't do is win as a CEO. And that's much different than winning as a baseball player. And I think that's what you saw in his tenure is just the ability to do certain things, but completely lost on other things. Um, and I think that that's evident in roster construction. That's evident in other things that he has done here. Um, not all bad, but definitely not all great. So um I think it's just proof that winning on the field is different than winning in the front office, for sure. Who do you think is having the best day uh, as a result of this? I think David Sampson is the one that had to do the biggest victory. One of the first things I thought of was David Sampson is going to be having himself a day. For people that aren't familiar, um, it it seems like if you're on Twitter, people know this, but for the larger crowd, David Sampson has a pretty popular podcast with CBS called Nothing Personal where he talks all things sports, business, et cetera. He has a microphone in front of his face all the time. He took the job almost as soon as Jeter fired him. He's been bitter about being let go from the very moment it happens. He has not tried to hide from that. He's embraced it. He has rooted against Jeter. He has trash-talked the way that Jeter ran the team from the very beginning, um, including some of the things that he did at the very beginning of his tenure that deserved to be ripped. Uh, for kind of, uh, He had Jeter from the beginning – was on this path to totally disassociate the franchise from everything that happens under Jeffrey Loria and David Sampson. That was a one common theme. It was a lot of it was about trying to emulate what the Yankees do. I'd say even more of it was just about to get as far away as possible from the distressed franchise that he took over and kind of seeing that everything that happened before him was bad in a certain way and uh, trying to, to change that. And so that's like a more complex conversation just for, for people that are only listening. David Sampson, I don't know if all this is accurate, but this is just just to give you his perspective. He says, quote, revenue never close to projections, and that is why payroll stayed low. Marlins lost significant money each year. He was in charge. Owners were tired of putting money in and letting Jeter run the show with no input, and value of the team has not increased. I mean, just as a first glance at that, it's hard to disagree with that, right? right? That does seem pretty uh, on the money. Yeah. You know, we talk about everything that he goes on. He goes on Levitard once a week, and every chance he gets, you're right, he bashes this this current regime, whether he's correct or whether he's not. A lot of it, honestly, has been correct, unfortunately. But the thing that you mentioned is just the first thing that Jeter wanted to do is just separate himself from the the former regime in so many ways – changing the way the stadium looked and not and really firing every single significant person that was working for the front office. It was just, I thought that was just so unnecessary for a myriad of reasons, but and not, and not only that he got rid of the O three, you know, a lot of the Florida Marlin stuff, like Jeff Conine gets rid of him. Like, Oh, there it is looking at it right now. Yeah. Jeff Conine, he got, who was it? Um, Andre um, Dawson, Tony Andre Perez, Dawson, Jack no. McKeon, uh, Jeff Koenig, they were all advisors yeah, to the team. Of all of them. Not of all super of them. expensive yeah. advisors either, just um, voices in that front office. And I think across the board, all guys that are pretty widely respected, especially Jack and Conine, 
who at, at the very beginning, this is it's kind of unquestionable some of the mistakes that were made during mm-hmm. that first offseason, both from a tactical standpoint and just that unpopular PR. You know, the one thing we got from that first offseason was Sandy Alcantara in the trade, but I mean, almost everything else, both on uh, in terms of player transactions and other miscellaneous things, it was it was rough offseason that year. So yeah, I, it, yeah, it's that kind of moves to the point where we want to want to try to predict exactly where this franchise goes from here. Jeter, even as somebody that had that big title and was pretty seriously involved in baseball transactions and a little bit on the business side as well, um, the there's still pretty big voices inside the organization that I think the early speculation is that they'll kind of fill the void internally in some respects while also probably bringing in one other new executive likely on the business side. But it's a big opportunity for Kim Ang. Um, yeah. The early reports from Mish, from Peter Gammons of The Athletic as well, is that she is going to be be trusted even more like unconditionally with a lot of the moves that the team makes on the other side of this lockout and beyond. For somebody that has only had one full season as a general manager with decades of other front office experience prior to that, but now I wonder if they'll even change her title. Maybe it might still just be a super, it might just be a super general manager instead of like a totally new title. I wanted to go to Alex here first though, uh, about Kim Eng, because you and I, for what well, we, we disagree on a number of things, but I think we did have a mutual frustration with how the front office operated last year on a variety of fronts from negotiating with major league free agents to also how they just managed the 40 man roster handling the developments of some of their key prospects in terms of what levels they were playing at and, and all of it. Uh, how comfortable are we with the idea that, that Kim Ang, um, for somebody that coming off what was an uneven first year on the, on the front office side could suddenly now be even more directly responsible for making these critical moves um, in 2022. Yeah, and we completely agree on last season's roster construction was an absolute disaster. Um, just no getting around it. And I've been very vocal on with you on that. Um, horrible. Um, I, honestly, I'm I'm intrigued by that, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to what Kim does. Um, I mean, you bring her into this this role that she was obviously ready for from all of her expertise. The thing that I always go back to is that. You know, before she came to the Marlins, it was big market. It was big market Yankees, you know, Dodgers, White Sox, all these big market teams that that she was uh, in charge of, or at least in a position of power in. Um, And then she comes to the Marlins, and it's much different running a small market team. So last year, she gets her first taste of running the small market team. And now we know that she wasn't really making final decisions. It really wasn't. It was Derek Jeter and Gary Denbo. Both of which, both of whom I believe, at least so far for Denbo, and at least in some regard for Derek Jeter, were not good in talent evaluation, number one, and honestly knowing when this guy is ready without trying to overprotect the player. And then they do things that we've talked about multiple times, Eli, like they'll call up Lewin Diaz to sit him on the bench, and they call up Jose Devers to sit him on the bench, and then he goes down with a season-ending injury. You know, they everything they did with Nick Neidert and Braxton Garrett – yeah, you got to plug holes, but you know you have to protect a prospect's development. And when a prospect is ready, 
you need to know when that prospect is ready and you need to make room for them if you have long-term plans. So everything together, I, I am excited, honestly, to see what Kim does in a greater position of power. She has the expertise. She's ready to take the reins more than she had last year. And I, I would honestly love to have been like fly on the wall in between when Kim says, hey, I think this guy's ready to come up like a Bryson Brigman. And then they say, nah, he's not ready defensively. You know what I mean? So those would have been fun conversations to hear exactly where she is on certain prospects. Um, she hasn't been able to be vocal on that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really honestly intrigued to see where she is on certain prospects, how this opening day roster looks whenever it shakes out, and how roster movement looks um, in 2022 and beyond. I think she's definitely ready for that challenge. May yeah. she have some hiccups in the road? Yep. Yes, definitely. Like we saw last year, as you said, um, she obviously still had input. She still had you know, a voice. But there were two other voices over her that if they weren't for it, it wasn't happening. So now she has that that leeway, that freedom. Right. Um, I'm really excited to see how that goes and how she handles it. Holloway's another guy who uh, they kept calling up and down, up and down, where he needed to be a staple in the bullpen or, you know, probably in the bullpen. But that was yeah, another guy, another prospect, quote unquote, that they uh, it just did not keep in one place. And something else to mention when you talk about the roster construction is the Marlins were with three pitchers throughout the whole season. And you couldn't have kept Nick Nidert and Braxton Garrett in the rotation at a consistent rate, which is something that just annoyed me a lot, that they would up and down, up and down. You're not going to have a consistent player giving you good quality starts if you're going to bring them up and down this whole season. Um, you know, the last draw for me was when they didn't bring up Bryson Brigman and they kept playing Isan Diaz consistently. Uh, that that for me was just like, all right, they, they don't really care a lot about this roster construction and the movement of you know minor leaguers up and down because Bryson Brigman is 100% ready to be a major leaguer. He proved it, and the excuse of saying it's the defense is it's 100% BS. I don't believe that at all because we've seen the clips of this guy just make one of some of the best defensive plays in the minor leagues this season, at least in Jupiter in um, Jacksonville. So yeah, I, I really am excited to see what Kim could do because she says this player is ready, this player is ready, as Alex mentioned. Bring him up. And now she has the chance to do that as she will have a lot more, uh, I guess, leeway into yeah. the decisions. She, she'll have more powers, as many say. So I'm excited. And she said they weren't done. She herself said it at the press conference introducing Abby Sayal that they weren't done. So right. that, better that, not be that, done. That, that was three months ago. And that's that the, was, but, that well, is the, the interesting question here. It was three months ago. It was um, even though the lockout was inevitable at that point. I think even somebody like myself who was a pessimist, I was expecting that oh, they would be able to find some common ground before the start of the season that we'd still get a full-length season, which at this point seems essentially um, out the door. So things have changed, and as we mentioned before, uh, the revenue that this team, the their honest revenue projections for this franchise, if they're being realistic, might not be what they originally thought they would for this upcoming season. In terms of how much ammunition financially they have to work with, it's it's a, just a fascinating. Um, for now, who to believe between Jeter and between Bruce Sherman? With, with Sherman, I, I think from the beginning he entered as as the primary financer of this ownership group. For full transparency, people knew that his pockets weren't quite as deep as the other billionaires. I, I don't like to defend billionaires, but I, I think we. I think people accepted that when he bought the team, this was a guy that would spend frugally and responsibly and efficiently. So the reality of the lockout's impact on what this team 
could realistically expect to make in terms of revenue, that he's not going to put money into the team unless he knows that the money is coming in. I, I think Kim was fighting against that last offseason. When we talked about last offseason, how they ended up making some moves that we liked, but settling for Adam Duvall when they wanted to go after outfielders last offseason that were more well-rounded everyday players uh, in terms of getting Anthony Bass as their big bullpen acquisition. And we know they, they could have chopped in like a, a, a higher price range for, to fill that need as well. Like this, the impact, I, this doesn't necessarily all go away um, just because Jeter is gone. One so other the, thing. The that, more, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say on your, on your point, and I think you're exactly right, but I would say, you know, you're looking at owners as owners and you said it yourself that Bruce Sherman isn't not the richest guy in baseball and not the richest guy in the world. He has money. Yeah, for sure. He's a billionaire, like you said, but there are much more lucrative owners and, and, and people around this league than Bruce Sherman. So it boggles my mind to think that Bruce is sitting there and looking at a month's worth of revenue loss. And he's okay with that because the more games that the, this team loses and smaller market teams like the Marlins lose, the more you're not going to be able to sign players that are going to make you win right now. And you're looking at Adam Duvall's and Anthony Bass's and those kind of players and players or people are going to show up for that. And we saw it this past season, like, you know, and then they traded Duvall on top of it. So, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's just crazy to think that that Bruce Sherman is sitting there as an owner and saying, Hey, I'm cool with losing a month's worth of television money. And, and it, you know, and with no fans at the park and no concessions and everything else, it, it really is crazy to think about that because like you said, um, and like I've said, that's, that's where, that's where owners make money. And when that's not happening, smaller market teams are the ones that hurt a lot more than big market teams. And um, obviously the Marlins are, are very small market teams. So um, if we lose a month's worth of games, Eli, honestly, and all of you guys, I would say that, what they're going to sign unless they have a sudden influx of money, unless he sells a portion of the team and another owner comes in and is willing to spend on this product. I really don't think we're going to expect any big, huge, big name signings. That's just an opinion. Yeah. And to be fair, um, Adam Duvall did work out for Miami. We just were done. It wasn't a good decision to trade him, but he did work out. <laughs> yeah, people, did, people didn't show up to see Duvall. Then they're definitely not going to show up to see Alex Jackson. Oh no, 100. Exactly. Yeah, that's fair. Is something that I, I brought up to Alex on his face session that I wanted to reiterate here for for our, our audience is my expectation that in the immediate term we might not see a whole lot of other um, people within the Yankees organization within the Marlins organization follow Jeter out the door. I don't know if there's necessarily going to be a whole lot of turnover in player development and in the front office right away, especially on the minor league side for all the chaos going around at the major league level. Um, the minor league season is going to progress as normal, just without 40 man roster players for the time being, all those affiliates are going to play full length seasons. And a lot of those player development people uh, from Gary Denbo all the way down to some of their minor league managers and their they're well-regarded pitching instructors. A lot of those people actually had Yankees ties and were brought in by Jeter and by Denbo to to like help shape up this minor league system, which was in terrible shape in all regards when the ownership change happened. But because it's going to be a full 
minor league season. And at this stage in the offseason, again, what made the news so stunning is that it came right now uh, at the last day of February. Highly unusual. So if people leave those positions, they, there are not open spots with other organizations right now. I don't think there are going to be these people are going to like forego their salaries for the 2022 season just because Jeter left. They could have all the respect in the world for Jeter. Um, but just because Jeter brought them in and gave them opportunities they didn't have before, uh, they don't necessarily have to reciprocate that loyalty by walking out and leaving the team in a right. bad spot that way. So for the moment, the farm system is in an interesting place, which we'll talk about in like a future unrelated episode. I want to wind this one down. It's just, uh, for the time being, in what is a very critical year on the development side to integrate a lot of their recent draft picks and some of the other prospects that they've traded for, um, this this is a time where they can kind of reestablish themselves as an elite farm system after potentially taking a dip last year because of a lot of the graduations that they had to the major league level. Um, I think for the moment, that as weird as it sounds, because Jeter being the most recognizable guy attached to the Marlins organization the immediate impact, I don't expect there to be a whole a whole much to do of it because at the major league level, when you have Kim Ang kind of stepping into those responsibilities as leading baseball operations and with the minor league season set to go and no other places to go for all the player development people in there, I think at least initially we're not going to feel that much of a difference with him gone. That's just my speculation. Yeah, I agree. I mean... Minor league season's around the corner. It doesn't really make sense to start firing people from the minor league. Uh, I would say maybe next season, the next minor league season. And I think we spoke about this in um, Alex's spaces that Gary Dembo, obviously, I think he's gone, but not this season coming up. Definitely the next one after there's a new CEO, it's established, but, you know, all, all that. And maybe we'll be seeing some more firings when it comes to the hitting side of the minor leagues because the pitching looks great. I mean, Max Meyer, Yuri, uh, Antonio Velez, who I, I've actually looked into a lot more after after the articles that um I've seen you got on um, Fish on the Farm. So that's something definitely to look at there when it comes to hitting. I, I want to see changes to hitting because JJ Bladé wasn't that good hitting. Connor Scott got traded because he just wasn't that good hitting, for example. I mean, if we could see an improvement when it comes to the hitting standpoint, that's, then, then there's a case to say, okay, maybe not fire everyone, but we have to get rid of some guys. Something yeah, Kevin's out. right. I mean, um, the one guy that has to be has to be protected if he can be at all costs is DJ Svalik. Uh, yeah, Svalik needs to be here. I mean, I, I can't imagine after everything that he's done with every draft that he's run, most of which have been spectacular, um, mm -hmm. that guy's phenomenal. And he's great at picking out talent in the later rounds as well. Uh, he's great after the draft and signing guys like Paul McIntosh, who was an undrafted free agent who had a great – showing in Jupiter. Um, you know, so honestly, I really would hope that he is still here. Um, other guys, like you said, Eli, it's a huge year for Denbo. Um, it's a huge year for other guys on that forefront. Um, you can go down to guys like uh, Hector Crespo and Jeff DeGroote, and they, they, have, they answer for that, that gap and hitting as well. I mean, it's not just Gary Denbo. He's the main guy, but then there's other guys behind him that are working with him. And those are the guys who I think after, as you said, on the spaces – not right now because my early spring training is starting in a couple of days and you know, you're not going to jumble up everything and bring in a brand new bunch of guys right now. However, if we see another year like last year on the offensive side of the ball, there's going to be guys like, Joe. 
Um, and there, it's going to be very easy for a new CEO or whatever the title is to excuse those dismissals. So those are the guys that that really should be feeling the hottest seat, I think, is on player development. Um, and then as a secondary to that, and we can get into this at another time and I got to wrap it up, is Don Mattingly. And that's all I got to say. All right, just to reiterate your point really quick, all these, you know, Hector Crespo, um, Jeff DeGroot, they're all promoted by Jeter just now. So you would think, you know, they're going to at least make it through the season. And based on the performance of the minor league system through the 2022 year, I think then whoever is in charge, whether it's Kim Ng or whether it's just Sherman outright, I don't think it's going to be him. I don't think he even knows who these guys are. But, you know, it'll be, you know, someone like Kim Ng who will be making the decision to either get rid of a lot of them or, or keep them if they do well. But they were all just promoted by Derek Jeter himself. So I think that's like something that really coincided with the weird timing of it all. I'll say one more thing before we get off the topic and you guys go. Um, the Marlins have absolutely amazing people on the educational side headed by Colleen Mitchell. Colleen Mitchell is spectacular. She heads up the education at the Dominican Academy. We just saw their last class come out that had 14 players, including Yuri Perez. They do amazing work. They just had, a, obviously, this brand new facility open. And even before that, like this new facility is just going to make them even better. And it's going to be incredible what they do with these young Latin players. And then on top of that, Adrian Lorenzo, who earned his job to be where he is in international scouting. So uh, or in, or the international director. Um, so, yeah, th there are people here that that came here by way of Derek Jeter and are in the positions that they're in by way of Derek Jeter that honestly deserve it and should be there. And I don't think should have any part of being dismissed by this organization. So hopefully whoever takes over can blend their guys with Jeter's guys and we can make it come together. That's my wish. I'm just kind of wrapping my mind around how different it's going to be covering a team that is not headed by Derek Jeter. You, it was an automatic. We were talking about the draft and the minor leaguers. Every single time the Marlins acquire a new young player, like in, in all those first interviews, the question is, have you spoken to Derek Jeter yet? Yeah. Uh, was right. Derek Jeter your favorite player growing up? It's always yes, because he was for he was the face of baseball for probably a decade and a half uh, during most of his playing career. And one of my takes that I mentioned up top, uh, I think a lot of people would agree with me, is that he's been the face of the Marlins for these four and a half years too, just because they just have, haven't had any elite players. When, when they traded Stanton and Yelich and Ozuna and kind of in their void, they've, they've had players that moving forward, I think have that potential to really identify with a lot of people in Jazz Chisholm, and in Sandy Alcantara really being the two prime candidates. But Jeter was the headliner when you're talking about the Marlins, even for people living in South Florida, even people following the team locally. Like he was the first guy you think of when you thought of the current iteration of the Marlins just because of how profile he was during his career, how seemingly involved he was in a lot of these big baseball decisions in recent years. And whoever fills his shoes – my guess is that, again, they're going to mostly trust who they have on the baseball side and potentially bring in a new executive more on the business side because that was kind of where the most tension was put into play here. It's not the struggles at the major league level were, were frustrating, but the fact that this is a team that they, they felt they bought for a pretty relatively low price by major league standards and uh, the franchise value probably hasn't gone up at all. Uh, if not, it's gone down since then that they need help on the business side for the baseball side. Whoever they bring in, you're not going to care about that person even a fraction as much as you cared about Derek Jeter, which means that in that 
void to give the Marlins relevance. They got to win games. It's even more critical than ever before that if you do not have that celebrity executive, you need to actually have the product that makes people care, makes people invest in what you're doing. We're going to have a whole lot to say on this subject. I thought we kept it really brief here and yet it goes 55 minutes. So you, you know that there's just so many angles to cover here, especially if worst case scenario, we got to wait a while for the start of the major league season. At the very least, we know minor league stuff is coming in just a matter of days. We get going with the spring training side of that. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch. But so, so many ramifications of this move. Um, not necessarily awful for the bad, though. You know, very mixed consequences potentially coming out of this. I think Kevin Barral, Isaac Azut, Alex Carver, official on the farm, for joining me. Eli Sussman here on the official show. I'll, I'll keep doing this podcast. We actually have a pretty interesting guest lined up for next week. And I'll be doing a lot of solo pods along the way to fill the time as we cover the Marlins in what could be a long lead up for the 2022 season. At least we finally have some good content to go into, uh, <laughs> to have some takes about. So we appreciate everybody listening. We appreciate you guys joining us. Subscribe to the pod wherever you get it. Subscribe to our YouTube channel too. We want to reach a thousand subscribers on YouTube as well. And we're inching in the right direction for the people watching over there. Thank you very much. I'm Eli Sussman. As always, go fish.